dragon without its rider is a tragedy. A rider without their dragon is dead. Welcome to the fourth wing. Everybody to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. Listeners, stick around at the end of this episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Hey, 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 listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of death, sexual content, violence, murder, and torture. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book, you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future. If you don't plan on reading the book, listen to this episode and let us summarize it for you so you can pretend you read it to impress your family members at Thanksgiving dinner. Hi, everybody. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jess. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm having a coffee. <laughs> We don't care what we're snacking on and it's because we, we're having a debate right now. We needed to, we want to jump back into it. Listen, we record, we had, we had a press record. All right. And the story, look, all right. But I'm just going to jump back really quickly. I'm going to rewind for a second. Explain I have been to told people. very passionately by the people. Okay. On both book talk and my, this, this person in, in my doctor's office, don't judge me. <laughs> All right. I've been told passionately about these Moss fans, Sarah J. Moss, that I have to read in a sequential fashion, that it has to be in a certain order. Okay. That whatever. Me and Alex are just going over our calendar. And in January, we're going to start with Crescent City. I have been told that mistakes would have been made if that happens, because I have to read, wait for this, the entire Throne of Glass series. Okay. And Akatar series before yes. that. Before yeah. January, dude, I don't have time for that. Like, I have lives, you know, no. I have multiple lives to That's take care why. of around here. That's so why we like, have to, we have to, yeah. we have to so mix I, up our, our time. I can't do that because I, I can't just lock myself in a room in a closet for a little bit and be like, family, bye. <laughs> um, so I can't do that. So we're trying to come to some kind of understanding. In the midst of this, <laughs> in the midst of this, we're also having a debate over apparently 
how to read the Throne of Glass yes. series, that you're not supposed <laughs> to read it in order the way she wrote it, that you're supposed to read it out of order. So I'm saying everyone's recommendation so far is that, to me, not to Alex, she has different recommendations, but that I'm supposed to read Assassin's Blade first because everybody who didn't said mistakes were made, that in the middle there's a book um, Air of fire. that leaves on a cliffhanger and then you have to wait an entire book because you're going into the past to get back to that. And they were like, forget that. Just read Assassin's uh, Blade first. It's going to make more sense as you read throughout the whole thing. Blah, blah. Alex was told. Yes. So I've seen this. First of all, this is a, a hot topic on TikTok. So I'm sure many of you, if you're on BookTok and if you're an SJM fan, you've probably seen this debate. But from what I've seen, they actually say that. So even though Assassin's Blade is a prequel and it would technically come before Throne of Glass, it is recommended that you should read it after Air of Fire. And it's, they say not because there's a cliffhanger, but because there's a natural break in the series where similar to some other series, it's like the first three books are kind of focusing on right. one area and then it kind of goes in a different direction for the remainder of the series. So it's a natural break where right. you can Maybe then Maybe it's not a read... cliffhanger, but it's like a but, section where you're going to be like wanting to get right to the next book and you know. But, but they book. suggest reading Assassin's Blade at that point because at that point you know these characters and it'll pack more of an emotional punch right in the gut. So that's how I'm choosing to read them. But Jess is going to read Assassin's Blade first. So I think Ooh, this will actually be a really good experiment. This is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be perfect. Wait, I love how we just were having a heavy debate. We pressed record and we instantly solved it. <laughs> well, actually, I was gearing up to, to tell you this, that we should do this as an experiment. But then we were like, we should really do this as a snack time. <laughs> she was like i heard it's more emotional to read it in the middle i was like i heard it's more emotional to read it so you know it throughout um i don't know that was a hilarious conversation that we were having there so but to again back I, to our timeline i think i'm drinking coffee maybe we I'm should not having any snacks i think we should maybe start out the new year either with assassin's blade or with akamath because i'm gonna punch you in the gut if you do not read that soon I'm going to punch you into an Akamath. Especially if you're supposed to read. So there's, this was another thing, too, is yeah. that. So now people, I have to read that entire say, series. Yeah, first. people say you're supposed to read the, the SJM universe books in this order. You read Akatar, then you read Throne of Glass, then you read Crescent City. Okay, I already read about... Akatar. I already read Crescent City. I'm up to Air of Fire. I actually I'm up to Assassin's Blade in the throne of glass series so i did not go in order and i have seen spoilers online but you haven't and i feel like this is a really good opportunity to see the best way to read the series i don't know okay i love this experiment idea yes i'm glad we've had this discussion but also <laughs> like i don't get it for the people that have been with jay moss since the beginning okay like what about the people that have been there since she wrote the throne of glass series first they didn't have an opportunity to read Akamath and I don't Akatar series first. I don't think it makes a huge difference, honestly. I've seen the spoilers. I think that you can read Throne of Glass first. You might just want to go back and reread like a couple chapters here or there, and then it might make more sense after you read Akatar. However, yeah, I, I just don't think it makes that big of a difference for those. Well, I think the biggest difference is going to be for Crescent City because that's where everything's supposed to merge okay, in the third book. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll see. You know, you heard it here. All right. We'll let you know how it goes. All right. And for when we come back after the the Christmas winter break, I guess we're gonna start with the Assassin's Blade, right? Yeah. Unless you want to start with Akamath. So 
here's the other thing too is they suggest starting with Akatar only because you they say it's a little bit easier to get into because the world building is not as intense as the two other series crescent city is definitely the most like fantasy fantasy of all the books and throne of glass gets progressively more fantasy so they say akatar is more of like uh, an entry drug to the fantasy verse of sjm but yeah we could start off with assassin's blade i'm fine with either one i need to read that anyway okay sounds good uh we're also trying to figure out what books we want to read and we want to read all the books. <laughs> so trying to condense all the books for you guys yeah. is interesting uh, to say the least. But what if we do know have for sure. Book, if you have a book that you would like us to review, yeah. reach out to us and make some suggestions and maybe we'll Oops. add it to our timeline for season two. Somebody put in the reviews that they want us to read The Cruel Prince. Oh, okay. So. We'll see. I know Alex already read that. I did not, but I did buy them. Um, I bu- I bought the, the trilogy. Yeah, I um I read the first one. I didn't read the rest of the series though, so I'd I'd be willing to reread it. Yeah. So we'll look into that. What we do know for sure, and like I can't guarantee the books that'll be in it because me and her change our minds constantly where we want to read all of them, <laughs> and we're like, let's read this. I want to read it now. Uh, but in February we're gonna be doing some Ramis. I know we're going to be doing some Rami commies because it's, it's, you know, it's Valentine's day, man. Yeah. All right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and we are going to try and do like maybe some categories we haven't done. Maybe we want to do a sci-fi. If anybody knows mm-hmm. of any s- super awesome sci-fis, um, please throw them out there to us and let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of want to read that foundation book. Yeah. But we that's can- like an eight part series. That's a lot. That's what I'm saying. So like, you know, if we love the first one and we need, 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 I already have like eight series that are ahead of that one. Yeah, I think (laughs) if we're going to read the first in an eight book series, let's wait until after we've finished the other books in the eight book series that we're, or seven book series that we're starting. (laughs) Eight books is a lot. But this is Azamanov. I think it's Azamanov. I think that's how you say his name. Um, but he's supposed to be like the godfather of sci-fi and everything is based off of his stuff. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see what we've read or what we've watched mm-hmm. um, that'll come up that we're like, ha, this was inspired by this. Ha, this was inspired by that. You know, it'll be interesting to yeah. read something like that. And I feel the same way with Ursula Le Guin because remember I told you that she's supposed to be like the godmother of sci-fi. Yeah. I love fantasy, how these people are godparents of sci-fi. <laughs> is it fantasy? I think she's a fantasy writer, yeah. Her books oh, have okay. dragons and things like that in them. Yeah, well, I want to read her too. And she has like 50,000 books. So if anybody has read her work and is familiar with her and you know where we should start, somebody said the book The Dispossessed. So that's maybe what we're going to go with. The name sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We don't know where any of this will be. So, you know, right now it's all up in the air. Yeah. Like a dragon. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> all right well anything else you wanted to say i don't think so well <laughs> it's fun though it was fun all right let's go to our word of the day all right we had a good conversation <laughs> okay it's time for the word of the day remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials each word of the day will come from the word of day vocabulary workbook by francine puckley or franny the pucks Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself.
without further ado, today's word of the day is... Trooper. Spelled T-R-O-U-P-E-R. Pronounced true per. It is a noun defined as an actor, especially a veteran performer who is able to come through no matter what, or an any person who is remarkably dependable. For example, Nancy drove through a snowstorm to run the desk on Saturday. What a trooper! All right, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk more examples about trooper like Nancy here. All right. Uh, Apparently ran the desk. (laughs) Um, Violet's friends in this book are some real troopers, despite her freezing them out for a good portion of the first half of this book. Yeah. Okay. Some can argue that maybe Dane might be a trooper during the torture scene in this book. Hmm. Finally. Yeah. Actually, my second example was going to be about Violet being a trooper during the torture scene because she really holds out, does not give in, despite some really intense torture. <laughs> okay. Is that your sentence? <laughs> yes. You were like, I was going to make a sentence about this. Like, just the, make this the sentence. sentence. All right, fine. Violet was a trooper during the torture scenes because she Excellent. really held out and didn't give in despite right. some really intense torture. All right. Well, it turns out, as you'll come to find out, that Jack Barlow is somewhat of a trooper hanging in there. Uh, so, yeah. 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 There's All a lot right. of trooperness happening in this part one here. Yeah. So here's some trivia about the word trooper. Mama Mia. Here we go again. Director Ole Parker says the super trooper scene at the end of the movie looks like fun because it was fun. The definition now includes any at all, as in a person having any sense or ounce of courage. How is that trivia? The second part of that is with the definition including any at all, as in a person having any sense or ounce of courage. But the first part's definitely, I mean, it I guess it's give trivia. Us any history. I guess I'd like it, to know. The origin. It's, it's definitely trivia, but it's not it's not information that we need. <laughs> no, I want to know its origin story. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's it comes it comes from Mamma Mia. That's all you need to <laughs> <It> does not. <laughs> Hold on. Trooper word origin. Let's get to the bottom of this. All right, Franny the Pucks. Mamma Mia. Right, the origin of Trooper. Mamma Mia. No, I'm kidding. Mama. It says owes its origin to the theatrical world of the 19th century when troupe hmm, was first used in English to mean a company of performers and trooper to mean a member of a troupe. Well, that didn't really help either. Whatever. It makes sense. It's interesting, I guess. Could have been incorporated where it came from. That's all. I don't know. All I can think about with this word is grouper. So all I think about is fish. So it's weird (laughs) that it does not mean a fish. (laughs) Well, look, Nancy's being a real grouper. All right. As you know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... Honey! Inspired by the honey biscuits that Violet eats at the beginning of the novel, literally on the first page, like Alex said. We will make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions to our email or DM us on our socials, and we may feature them in the future.
All right. So let's tell you why we chose this book. You know why we chose this book. As you recall, we read Fourth Wing earlier this year. We loved it. And if you don't recall, we loved it. Mm -hmm. So obviously we had to read the sequel. In fact, we have been impatiently waiting it for its release for several months now. And it finally is here. So we're finally able to read it. Aha. It got delivered. But did it deliver? We will find out. Hmm. All right. So here's a little plot synopsis. So everyone knows what this book's about. Iron Flame picks up where Fourth Wing left off with Violet talking with her brother, Brennan, whom she'd previously believed to be dead. But hey, he's not. He's alive. Violet and Zayden return then to Buzgayath War College after having survived the war games, which turned out to be a battle uh, instead. So this causes friction at the college for Violet with a new vice commandant named Varish, who I will also say could be also nicknamed Jafar for reasons I will disclose later on, as well as a rift between her and her friends as she attempts to maintain secrets to protect the revolution that is up and coming. Uh, while dodging assassination attempts and balancing her class workload, she works to find a solution to save the civilians outside of the Navarian wards from the evil Venon and their wyverns, uh, which are the dragons that they conjure. On top of everything else, Varish is working to keep Violet and Zayden apart while Andarna is growing into her adolescence dragony phase. All right. So Iron Flame, if you did not listen to our fourth wing episode, was written by Rebecca Yaros, who is a New York Times bestselling author who has published more than 20 novels, primarily in the young adult and new adult genres. She is proud to call herself a military wife and is mom to six children. When she's not writing, she enjoys playing guitar, spending time with family, and cheering on the New York Mets. Rebecca and her husband fostered and adopted their youngest daughter and have been advocates for others to do the same through their own nonprofit organization, One October. Rebecca has disclosed that she and several of her children suffer from Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a hereditary connective tissue disorder caused by genetic changes that affects the connective tissues that stabilize and support the joints and organs in the body. This can often result in chronic pain, chronic fatigue, fragile skin, slow or poor wound healing, joint hypermobility, and other symptoms. Because of her struggles and the struggles of her children, Rebecca has expressed that it was important for her to represent chronic illness in Fourth Wing and also now in Iron Flame through its main character, Violet. A dragon without its rider is a tragedy. A rider without their dragon is dead. Welcome to the fourth wing. All right, so let's just dive right into this bad boy. All right, we have the return of Brenny Brens, Brenny Babies, Brennan, her brother. Okay, and we're, we were eager to discuss this after the cliffhanger that we were just thrown into. Thank you, Becky Yar Yar. Just throw it, threw us in there and was like, oh, Brennan's alive. And that's it. And we were like, what? <laughs> so now we came back <laughs> and we kind of know what. Uh, we're more introduced to Brennan in this one. There's a lot of stuff going on. So let's talk about him collectively, Alex. All right. So Brennan, we learn, has survived. So Violet and her siblings and her mother had previously thought him killed, I think, five or six years prior. And it turns out that his friend, 
Naolin, who was Tarn's previous rider, was able to save him. However, it did cost him his own life. So Brennan, knowing what he knows about the Venon and the Wyvern and the fact that Navarre is not doing anything to help the civilians outside of their wards, decided he couldn't return to Navarre and chose to change his name and basically fake his own death, pretend to be dead in order to join the revolution to help protect these civilians. And he, along with Satan and several other members of the revolution, are now living in Eratia in Tyrandor. And he's pretty high up there. He's a member of the council and he seems to have a lot of sway with them and seems to make a lot of the rules and decisions with this group of uh, rebels. And I, I enjoyed reading this. Um, I liked finding out about what happened to him. I did have questions about what had happened in terms of him surviving, how that occurred. It did turn out to be what I had predicted from fourth wing. So that was pretty cool to get those answers. And it was nice to get to see him, you know, as, as somebody that's an actual character. Now we had learned a little bit about him in fourth wing through his notebook that he had left and the letters that he had written. So it was nice to actually see him in person now and interacting with Violet and kind of getting reunited with her, reacquainted with her. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how his character plays a role in the remainder of the book, as well as the remainder of the series. Yeah, like Alex said, um, there's a couple of things that we just we got answers to. There's a few things we still don't have answers to as far as did he have something to do with Tarn? Right. Trying uh, getting um, together with uh, Violet or was something might happen there because he does have a history with Tarn when it happens to be the writer that saved his life in this case. Right. Mm -hmm. Prior writer. But what we do learn is that Mira, as far as part one goes, Mira does not know that he's alive. Uh, and then we learn that he is, like Alex said, he's a council member. He's high up there. I think he's a lieutenant. He has some sway in this revolution. And obviously he's been hiding out as not to jeopardize that revolution, which we kind of assumed that he's been hiding out, obviously, if he faked his death. Uh, and then something that I really do like, it adds dimension to, is that uh, obviously Violet is happy to see him, but she's upset. You know, and she speaks to him about being upset because she had to mourn his death and he didn't die. There's, there's a, a lot to unpack. It was satisfying reading it after that long wait. Yeah. Uh, we did get a lot of answers. So it was great getting to know him a little bit better and to see that interaction with his sister. And and yeah, I'm looking forward to the remainder of the book and seeing what's going on with him. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I was satisfied. OK, so after we see Violet and Brennan in Eratia, we then see them deciding that the people, there were eight total, I believe, it was Violet, Zayden, and then some others who were sent to these war games and ended up at the Battle at Resin. They've decided to return to Baskayeth. They think that that's going to be the best for them. So let's talk about that scene and your thoughts overall on it. Okay, so they build it up before they actually walk into the school. They concoct a plan that they think will work because, you know, uh, I think it basically said if you don't return, you know, you're basically going to be executed or excommunicated or whatever. So they're worried that they're going to be shot on sight, that something's going to happen, and they have every right to fear that. So they come up with a, a solid plan to explain why they've been absent, right, where, where they've been and what happened without actually giving up all the details that can definitely make them dead. But of course, there's going to be people who are in on this and know what they faced and they're going to want to silence that. Um, they're going to want to silence that, them and and make sure that they don't tell everyone because they're keeping this under wraps. So this way, you know, people don't panic, which is the wrong move, in my opinion, because you got to prepare these people. But whatever, this is their angle. OK, so they walk in. 
uh, during the death toll where their names are being called because they're being assumed dead during graduation. And they're being assumed not going to be graduating because they are missing in action. They assume they're dead. But hey, they walk in and to everybody's alarm, they're alive. Okay. So it turns out, um, you know, that everybody is shocked, but people are glad that, and they're questioning why they're on the death toll. Obviously, Atos, dad, uh, Dane's dad, is confronted because he's the one that basically designed the war games, right? So he knew, and we know he knows because of the interaction that he has with Satan and Violet. And he basically makes it clear uh, that he knows what they saw and he's going to not be happy about it. Um, and they make it clear that they know that he is behind it. And then what was really interesting was the fact that Violet's mother's there, General Sorengale in the flesh. And that she had no idea that this was designed against her daughter. And then she learns about it firsthand without getting all the details. But remember that she had that dagger on her desk last book and she knows. Oh, she knows. She knows. <laughs> so, you know, obviously she has an idea that that her daughter was thrown into this mix. She has some words with Atos. Uh, I thought it was a very satisfying um, reunion back at the school. And, and I like how everything was built up and they made sure they came up with a plan that was foolproof and it works out well for them. Yeah, I liked this scene. It was really interesting. I wasn't I didn't expect them to be returning to the school. So when this happened in the first few chapters, I was honestly surprised because I was like, how do you return to the school after you just fought these Venon and Wyvern and almost died, found out your brother was still alive and there's this whole revolution happening and now you're just going to go back to school uh but it made sense they did need to do that in order to continue to not only infiltrate and get information but also for violet's training and all of that and so that zayden could return to his new post after graduation in order to continue helping the revolution in the way that the ways that they have been right under you know the, the noses of leadership so i liked this and I wasn't expecting it. I did think it was really interesting because we do learn that Colonel Atos, who's Dane's father, was the mastermind be be behind the entire situation that led them to almost being killed at war games. And I also thought it was very interesting that we find out Dane did not appear to know that this was the plan, that that's where they're being sent. He doesn't seem to be aware of the fact that there are Venon and Wyvern. And I also found it interesting that General Sorengale was not aware of the plan either. So we do know that she is aware that there's Venon and Wyvern, or at least we suspect based on the facts, like you said, Jess, that she does have the dagger. It's pretty clear that leadership obviously knows that they exist. However, I thought it was nice to see that she seemed concerned for Violet's safety. She genu genuinely seemed relieved when she saw her returning. So I thought that yeah. was a nice change of pace. And I thought that the scene overall was was well done. And we do see that uh, General Sorengale is punishing Colonel Atos as well. So he gets sent to another outpost, to another position as a punishment for what he had done. But he also makes it clear that he's going to be targeting these people. He's going to be keeping an eye on them and he's, he's coming for them. So right. this was all really setting a lot of groundwork for the, the next kind of series of events in the in the book right all right so then once they are integrated back a lot of things happen that we're going to discuss so the first being obviously we knew that this was building up in the first book but violet and zayden are no longer under the same roof all the time they have to be separated uh they are secret <laughs> they are being punished um to the fact that yes the dragons can't be separated for long uh, but they know that Violet and Zayden are a couple, so they're going to try to make things as difficult as possible for them to see each other. And that's exactly what happens here. 
the post that he's assigned, he doesn't have, even though he was a wing leader and he's supposed to have like, you know, first, um, what's the word? First choice. Right. Like first choice at where he wants to go. Uh, but he wasn't there. They assumed he was dead. So they already gave out these positions, these posts. Um, so he has to be uh, sent far away. He's like at the furthest possible point or whatever, mm-hmm. distance wise. Um, and they're not going to be able to see each other uh, every other couple of days. It's a long flight. So they can only see each other uh, once a week. So I think it's like every Saturday or something like that, every mm-hmm. seven days. So they're kept apart that way. Then they're kept apart even more because as we're going to talk about uh there's somebody in the school he is a vice commandant um maybe atos has a pull in this as well we don't know but basically he's he's keeping them apart as well so he is going to be assigning her to a when the day that zayden's coming assigning her somewhere where she can't possibly physically be with him but the dragons can but they can't be together essentially uh they're keeping they're keeping this couple apart they're they're doing this as a um punishment essentially, for what they know um, and surviving, you know, this mission that they were set up to fail, basically. And then during this time as well, they're fighting with each other because Violet is still upset with him that she lied, that he lied to her, which as a reader, I got to be honest, like, all right, yeah, you can be upset. Yes. But you realize why he did it. I mean, the revolution's important. And obviously, Dane can easily touch your face. You know, you, she has to be trained now to shield out things like that, shield out Dane touching her face and getting her memories and things like that. She has to be better prepared, as we're going to talk about, too, for like torture and things like that um, to block out these things. So this way it doesn't give up the entire uh, movement that they've been doing. I mean, her brother faked his death for this. <laughs> this has been going on for a long time. They don't want to jeopardize that. I mean, when you really think about it violet's supposed to be smart and i was just like all right you know like yeah she could be mad at him and stuff but like you only see each other once a week and like get over it after a while i don't know that's just how i felt as a reader maybe i'm wrong maybe if it was a real relationship for me i would feel the same way as her obviously she had every right to feel not left in the dark but she had every right to feel betrayed by him she wants him to tell her uh, he uh everything but i think he did a really good job though of letting her in on more about him with the letters and stuff that he was leaving her. I think he was trying. Um, I noticed that. I think she does notice that too. And in the end, they do make up. Um, and then when they do, uh, we get introduced to the fact that Zayden had a life before her, which we know is obvious. But we learned that there was someone named Kat, someone named Catriona. And during one of the flights, he takes, um, she, whenever she goes and visits Zayden, she, uh, Garrick or no, Bodhi. I think, mm-hmm, um, puts weapons and they 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 hide them on uh, Tarn. So this way they're not in her bag, Violet, so she can't get in trouble for it. They don't check the dragon. So they're basically smuggling out weapons for this revolution. And when uh, Violet takes a ride on Tarn to go and uh, give these weapons over to the flyers, the Griffin Riders, she is introduced to somebody named Kat, who is a fireball. And um, Alex, I'll let, you, I'll let you talk more about that. But yeah, she's interesting. Yeah, so... Well, I'll talk about Kat first, and then I'll give my thoughts on Violet and Zayden. So we are introduced to Kat. She does seem a little sassy, a little saucy. I like her so far. So we do learn that she is uh, an ex of Zayden. Violet gets jealous, and they have some words about it. And Zayden's like, just ignore her. You know, I don't ask about your exes. You know, we're not going to talk about mine unless you want to. And... Oh, that just leads me right into my discussion about Violet and Zayden's relationship in this book. And certainly for the first part of this book, I hated it. I felt like a third wheel 
in a relationship, but for all the bad parts. They are constantly fighting. So they are separated, like Jess said. Um, you know, Zayden has graduated along with Garrick. She's still in school, but because Taryn and Sigal can't be separated for three days, they are allowed to see each other once a week. But every time they do see each other, all they do is fight. And it's the same fight over and over again. And it's just, I can't trust you. You can't trust me when, you know, uh, when are you going to trust me? When are you going to tell me things you need to shield? I would have much better. I would have preferred to see them actually training her on how to use her shields because we don't get that yeah. at all in this book. It's just randomly mentioned once in a while that she needs to learn how to train with her shields. And then at one point, it's just like, okay, you're good enough now to block out Dane so you can come with us to this Griffin drop off with the weapons. I This book would have been much better served having us seen what that actually entailed versus just watching them fight constantly. I hated it. I genuinely hated these parts of the book. And I felt that both of their characters were really irritating. I didn't, I thought his letters were cringy. <laughs> we don't really see the full letters. We only get snippets of them. I thought this whole thing was cringe. That's just me. I just didn't like it. And the other thing I really didn't like about this is that he chooses to withhold sex from her until she says, I love you. This felt icky to me. I didn't like it. And I also didn't like that so this book is told from Violet's point of view, and every time they're together, we get multiple paragraphs about how hot he is and how much she wants him and how much she loves him, but then she just can't trust him. And it was just going back and forth with this over and over again. I just found it really boring, really great. repetitive. Super repetitive. It was so boring, and I just hated it. I just hated everything about this. So I was glad once they reconciled, I could have lived without the sex scene. I thought it was cringe. <laughs> Again, I don't know. I wasn't enjoying this aspect of the book. And I thought that there were more important things that we should have seen on the page rather than this struggling romance between the two. I think this should have taken a back seat in this book rather than such a focal point. I agree. I really do. I feel like uh, it would have made more of an impact while we were reading because there were certain points where I was just like, all right, like I couldn't put fourth wing down. And then during these parts, I was just like, I don't want to read right now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel like yeah. that with the last book. Uh, so I agree with you there. Yeah, But I do feel like he tried with the letters, I have to say, in the time frame that they were given just because they don't have enough time together to talk about all the things. And she's really not being open to him talking to her. So he has to write her letters because it, they don't have enough time together, basically. The, well, uh, no, so I the, at least he tries with that. This is the other thing that bothers me is that they do have time together, but they waste it fighting about the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And they, he, he makes it a point to say, I'll answer any of your questions, but he doesn't actually be open with her about anything. So yeah, he wrote her some letters, which is great. We don't actually get to see the letters. We see little snippets of them from, you know, here and there, but he won't give her any information unless she specifically asks about it. How does she even know what to ask if you're not giving her any information? That's not being open. That's not being a good communicator. That's not being in a healthy relationship. And it really bothers me because Violet is open with him and she does update him and tell him things. And then, you know, if, if something's revealed on his end, he'll be like, oh, well, you didn't ask. And at one point she makes a snarky comment to him and she says like, he, um, she updates him on stuff that she hadn't been able to update him on yet since their last visit. And he's like, oh, okay, glad we're communicating now. And she's like, oh, well, I can make you ask for the information instead. And I was like, yeah, girl, you should, because that's how he's being like it doesn't make sense i hated all of this i'm sorry i'm getting worked up about that's it fine again, but i i feel the same way about violet and i i think that 
I don't even want to get into it because I don't even want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> These two, they annoyed me, both of them, yeah. both of them in different ways and different la- layers. And I feel like this, like you said, it's so repetitive. It could have just been tailored up in one uh, entire chapter and that's it. For now on, let's see what well, every time they see each other, they have to deal with other things. They could still have been apart, but we didn't have to focus on this. We didn't have yeah. to focus, you know, like on she she made it clear in the last one that she was upset that he withheld information from her. We knew about that, you know, but the guy was sitting there for three days hoping that you'd come out of, you know, he'd be healed and stuff like that. And he, you know, he we got his perspective on it. And now we, all of a sudden we just dove right back in, like as if there was no development there. I don't know. I just I, it just annoyed me. It annoyed me. Yeah. The whole thing. So yeah. we're on the same page there. One thing I did really like in the book was the side characters, including Violet's friends. So we had Rhiannon, Riddick, mm-hmm. um, Sawyer, and Imogen. And it was I felt it was really refreshing in this book to see this really healthy friendship forming between the group. Although Violet was keeping secrets from them, she really didn't have much of a choice because it was a risk to the revolution. However, it was nice to see the loyalty of the group. I really liked seeing how they worked together. It was just really nice to see how those friendship bonds were forming and how they ended up being solidified by the end of part one. So what were your thoughts on the friendships and these side characters? And, you know, did you have any specific incidents, not incidents, but uh, instances in the book that you wanted to talk about where this was really highlighted? Well, I was more interested in this part of the story than the Zayden Violet Rift. I was interested in the fact that she was afraid to talk to her friends because she didn't want to lie to them. She wanted to be loyal. But at the same time, she didn't want to jeopardize not just the revolution, but she didn't want anything bad to happen to them knowing the information. The fact that she knows the information and now she's targeted. She didn't want to put a, a a target on their backs either. So I really liked that. I respected that from Violet. She wanted to keep all this information under wraps, like Alex said, because um, there is a class that they're taking where they're uh, trying to endure torture and being trained on that. So she didn't want to risk anything where they could actually spill the beans or something like that there and then put themselves in danger. So I really liked this whole storyline on it. I like to see, you know, how the friends handled it. Like Alex said, they were still loyal to her. Uh, uh, Rihanna makes it very clear that, of course, she's going to be loyal to her. You know what I mean? Like this girl risked her life for her when she was a stranger. And now that they're best friends, of course, she's not going to, you know, just be like, well, F you, you know, haha, you saved my life, but you could die now. Um, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. It made sense for the story. And I feel like we really got to know them better. Uh, even though they were apart in the story from Violet, we got to know them a little bit more. And I was I like that. Um, I really love this little group. I love Rhiannon. I love Riddick. He is my favorite. He's hilarious. Uh, and Sawyer, too. So I really like them. They seem like a tight knit group, even when she was withholding information. But what really annoyed me with Violet is like, you're withholding information in the same way that Zayden did. And you're not you're not understanding why Zayden did it. But you're doing the same thing with your friends. You should understand. I mean, sometimes she's smart, but sometimes she's acts like she isn't. And that upsets me about her character. Yeah, that's a whole nother issue. Yeah, I agree with you. The parts with her and her friends were my favorite parts to read in this book. It was actually the only time I really enjoyed reading this book was when we were reading these interactions. I really enjoyed her friendship with Imogen in this book. So even though they make it a point to say like, we're not really friends, but they are. And I just find their relationship really funny and realistic. And I agree with you about Riddick. He's one of my all-time favorites. He's hilarious, but he's also super loyal. And he's also smart and underrated. I felt that he, uh, something I felt in this book was that all of these characters 
Imogen, Rhiannon, Sawyer, Riddick, not only were they better developed in this book than they were in Fourth Wing, but they felt more mature. They read as more mature on the page. And I felt like Violet had regressed. So I really enjoyed seeing these these characters blossom on the page. I know we hate using that word. We do, but, but we always use it. I know, but it, it was really nice to see these characters growing into their own in this book and seeing their roles that they ended up playing. And I just really enjoyed it. It was just really good. There were a lot of really funny moments that made me chuckle or at least smile. There were some really heartwarming points. A lot of my notes are just like, heart Rhiannon, and heart Riddick yeah. because they were just scenes where I was like, oh, I just love them right now. And I, I felt that it was really refreshing, especially coming off of Fourth Wing where we didn't get as much development on their characters. So right. I, I like seeing where this little group is heading. Same. Uh, I loved how Rhiannon was unraveling things. I love how she was figuring things out and she was like, you can keep me in the mm -hmm. dark, but bitch, I, I see lights. I see things happening and I want to know what's going on. So I really love that. And I loved the moments that they had together where she was unpacking things without even knowing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really thought that was great. And for Imogen to touch on that when you said, I agree. It's funny that they have this friendship, even though they're pretending it's not one. And um, they're running with each other every morning because Violet wants to learn how to run faster. Yeah. Uh, and it does pay off for her later. And um, obviously, which makes sense. But it's because also they share this bond with having been in this battle with this, these venom creatures before they were really ready for any mm -hmm. of this. Um, so I really like that they have this connection with each other. Also, she's more propelled now to Imogen because Imogen knows what happened and she's not able to share that information yet with her friends. Uh, so she at least has somebody that she can talk to about these things has somebody who does understand the experience of what she went through. Yeah. Um, so I really liked her getting closer with Imogen a lot. Yeah. I also did like when Violet did choose to disclose the information to her friends where it was basically they helped her get out of a jam. Rhiannon pulled this dagger out of her, out of a sheath for her as she was being searched. If Varish, who we'll talk about, he's the new vice commandant, if he had found it, it would have meant a lot of trouble for Violet and for the revolution. So she she was able to use her signet, which is to retrieve things. And she was able to pull it through the wall for the first time. And, you know, at that point, Rhiannon's like, listen, we're obviously here for you. You need to tell us what's going on. We can't help you if you don't. And Violet finally breaks down and tells them. And I really liked that scene. I thought it Me was too. really well done. And it was just enjoyable to read. Yeah, I love that she finally told them. And, you know, basically she tells them all these things instead of being mad or upset that they, they weren't told. They were like, all right, we're here for you. What can we do? And yeah. I love that. Yeah, uh, they really I think even though she tried uh, Becky Yaya to put Vi uh, Violet and Zayden in the, you know, their relationship or their estrangement or whatever in the forefront, I feel like the friends are really the ones that were in the driving seat for me as a reader. They were the and, VIPs, yeah. Yes, and their other relationship uh, for, for Zayden and, and Violet were kind of like in the backseat for me for, for sure. the first part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So that's going on. And while that's going on, uh, obviously, you remember that Violet has dragons, two of them, right? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Atarn, uh, who's always grumpy as hell, which I love him. And Andarna, who actually takes a backseat in this part because she is in something called a dreamless sleep where uh, she is growing into her adolescent self and she is sleeping while she's doing this growth process. So let's talk a little bit about them too. Yeah, these were the second VIPs of the book. My second favorite people, or not people, creatures to read about. Darren yeah. was hilarious in this book. He had a lot of really fun banter and he was super grumpy and cranky. I, the few interactions that 
that we did have between him and Andarna during part one of this book were hilarious because Andarna is <laughs> now a bitchy teenager and Taryn is a grumpy old man who just doesn't have time <laughs> or patience for her shenanigans. And it was just, it was just funny. Uh, once again, as I did with, you know, some of the moments with Riddick and Rhiannon, I would kind of chuckle out loud at this. Andarna is, like Jess said, in the dreamless sleep. She's growing into her adult body or at least her adolescent body. And she's growing at a more rapid rate than is typical for dragons. So I'm curious to see if we're going to get more information about that. I'm curious if it has to do with her original power having to do with being able to stop time, if that impacts her growth at all. So I am excited to learn more about Andarna and what's in store for her as an as an adolescent. And eventually, I assume we'll see her as, a, as an adult as well at some point in the series. Taryn was super protective of Violet in this in this book so far. I thought that was really cute. At one point she tells him like, stop being so overprotective. At one point she tells him stop being sweet because it's it's off-putting because he was doing something to be protective of her. And I liked that he, his connection with Violet seems to have grown and we see it continue to grow um, in the first part of this book. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's overprotective of Violet and he's overprotective of Andarna. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's cute um, in those ways. But he's, he's so grumpy. I, know. I love him. I, love I really that. do. <laughs> I think he might be my like overall favorite character like yeah. at all. But he he is he's a, he's a whole thing. But I have to yeah. say that when I was reading him in this book, he was Harrison Ford for me. Uh, every time I was reading it in Harrison Ford's voice, whether he was like Han Solo with that sass that Han Solo has, or um, if anybody saw the show on Apple TV, Shrinking, he's just this cranky old man, Harrison Ford. He's hilarious and he's cranky uh, and he's sass, you know, so he he fit perfectly. Every time I heard Taryn, I heard this cranky Harrison Ford voice, and I think that's fun. But yeah, just really quick, Andarna, she's missing during part one. She's really not in it because she's in the, her dreamless sleep stage, uh, and they're keeping her hidden because they don't want the details to come out about the feather tails. This is why feather tails don't bond with humans because they grow up and they don't want that known, that information they want to keep hidden, that feather tails are really baby dragons. Mm -hmm. um, so they keep her hidden. So it's kind of like she only has Tarn and a lot of questions are being asked. Oh, don't you have two dragons? Where's your other dragon? And that leads us into the next person we're going to talk about. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, Colonel Atos was dismissed from his post at Best Guy at War College. And in his place, a vice commandant was appointed and that is this character vice commandant barish who it turns out is a pretty awful person and he seems to really have it out for violet he is as just mentioned earlier he's been working to keep violet and zayden apart to ensure that they can't work together for the revolution which we're pretty sure that he suspects they are a part of and He's been going out of his way to check her bags every time she leaves. He is punishing her for things that are outside of her control. For example, Andarna not showing up for flight maneuvers and they have to undergo some type of interrogation training and he's a major part of that as well. So Jess, tell us your thoughts on this new character and what you view him as because I know you had an image of him in your head. <laughs> All right, so let's start with just the normal shit. Uh, <laughs> He's definitely a douchebag. He comes on the scene hot, yeah, um, but in a different way hot for me, but I'll tell you in a second. But he comes in hot, okay? And he's like, hey, I'm the new vice commandant. Bitch, you you answer to me. I know about your bullshit. I'm going to punish you and Zayden. I'm going to get you, bitch. 
And that's basically how he comes in. Uh, and he, you, you definitely hate him. He's not, you know, he's a great new side character. He gives a lot of friction there. There's, there's a lot of stuff going down where you know he's possibly responsible for people dying around him and things happening. We notice a change within the infirmary, and that's also related to him. His signet, I believe, is is uh, revolving around torture. He's good at torturing. Um, this is what he's trained in. So that's exactly the snapshot you need of that guy. Uh, so he he's definitely causing some some problems for Violet. Uh, and he's giving her a hard time, like Alex said, about, oh, your dragon's not here? Oh, so let me put you on top of a mountain and make you use your lightning signet more than you can even handle and almost kill you. Because that's what he does to her. Okay? It's crazy. It's insane. So we get this idea that this guy is just no good. He has it out for her. He's gunning for Zayden and her. Um, he puts her in these situations where he's hoping Zayden will come through and, you know, this way he can hurt him because ultimately that's who he wants. My thing with him, this is the not so normal. The whole time I was picturing, I don't know why, but I was picturing this dude as the guy who plays, the actor who plays Jafar in the new Aladdin. Okay, look him up. If you don't know, go ahead, press pause. Welcome back. Yes. Did you see him? Because he is Varish. Okay. Anyone who's read this already or read this part, tell me no. Or if you haven't read this part yet, now when you read it, think of him. The whole time, his voice and everything, he was like, give me the lamp, Violet. I don't know. That's his voice. <laughs> the whole time. He was like, I will get you, Violet. I don't know. It's just him. And and unfortunately for this character, that actor is hot. <laughs> So the whole time I had a conflict, an inner conflict that didn't even exist because I kept picturing this actor who I think is very attractive playing this evil villain man. And every time he would say things and I'd be like, oh, God, I hate this guy. But he's hot because he's the guy. It's not even <laughs> necessarily. So it would be a mistake if when the casting role happens, that actor is not portrayed as as Varish. That's all. His name, and I might not say it justice, but is Marwin Kenzari. Anyway, that's all. Sorry, that's the side note that you didn't need, but you got. I did not think that when I read it, but <laughs> I did go back and reread some chapters in preparation for this chat today. And after you had told me that, I did start reading it that way. And it actually does. During a few of the scenes, I was like, I can see it. I see it now. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, Varish is a horrible human. Mm -hmm. I liked his character in the book. I, I liked the conflict that his character caused. I thought his character in general was a little two-dimensional. He was just like bad, bad, bad. We don't really understand his motivation for that. Right. And right. it was it, it was very extreme as well. I mean, this is somebody that's in a very high position of power at the school and just in general with the leadership of Navarre. And he just is tormenting students, torturing students, and everybody's just like cool with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just was a little to me, it it didn't feel realistic at points. There were some moments where I actually thought a lot about Professor Umbridge from the Harry Potter series, because I kind of felt the same way with her. I was yeah. like, it doesn't, you know, it's like, how is she getting away with this? Just so yeah. he, I, he he was needed for that power trip in the school role, I get yeah. it. But there was a lot of people who were just like, oh, he's hurting people. OK, what are you afraid of him? Like, it doesn't get into, like Alex said, the details on his backstory. You know, he's just there. He's a douchebag. And then he's not. Yeah. <laughs> not there anymore. Yeah. So, like, don't get his his all all his motives and his we understand why he wants them to be punished. 
we get his motives, I guess, but we don't understand him as a person, why he's this way. Um, we don't get any details on his backstory at all. Yeah. And he just I found... shows up and, and he's like, I'm here to fuck shit up. Yeah. He's just there to be evil. And like I said, I, I did enjoy some of the conflict it created in the plot and the story. However, in terms of character development, I did feel he was a little flat. I agree. Um, but I did enjoy some of the scenes. So I thought it was really cool during conscription day. Uh, so Violet, once she is back at the school, they have these new first years coming and then his dragon just straight up kills a bunch of people. Once again, I was like, how are they just like allowing this? But it was a cool scene. I thought it was interesting. There was another scene where he is going hard on Violet to produce Andarna as if she could just do that. And Tarn just really almost kills Varish's dragon. I thought that scene was really well done Great. and I enjoyed it. And he he makes him beg and say he's sorry on his knees to him and to Violet. And I, I enjoyed all of that. And I did enjoy some of the other plot lines that we can talk about. They weren't necessarily fun to read because they were a little brutal, but they mm -hmm. were interesting at least. Yeah, yeah. he definitely adds a, an interesting layer in the first part and honestly he was necessary a character like that was necessary yeah. we needed that uh do i think that he was 100 percent well developed maybe not maybe we could have had a little extra something in there like hey uh you know he's pissed he never got the lamp and he's trying <laughs> to get the genie out you know a little more detail as to why he's angry we get that he is yeah uh, even something could have been as simple as thrown in there like uh he's pissed off at general sorengale's daughter because Ger general sorengale got his job or something something small like that it could have been a little tiny paragraph or a few lines give us some reasons literally you know? anything and he also was just bad 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 there was no complexity to his character it, i think he would have been more interesting if there had been some shades of good in there where we're like, okay, maybe he truly believes that he's doing this for the greater good or something. You know what I right. mean? But there was just, it was just every single thing he did was terrible. And he was terrible to everyone. And he was just bullying students. And I just didn't understand how this was being allowed. I didn't understand where General Sorengale was, that this was just happening under yeah. her nose at the school. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. But definitely some some holes, some plot holes here. Yeah. Uh, within the story. Yeah. But all right, well, let's get to the assassination attempts. There's a lot of them and some of them are successful. So as Alex had said originally, you know, when they returned to the school after that battle that was supposed to just be war games, some game because they were thrown into the mix of, of an actual battle with Venon who they didn't even think existed. Now these, um, you know, these cadets return back to school. And one by one, they're getting picked off, or at least there's atta uh, attempts on their lives. Like, I think Imogen has, like, two attempts on her life. She makes it through. Violet, obviously, and Zayden are having issues. You could tell that there's being attempts on their life. Varish almost kills her on the mountain when he's um, attempting to make her overuse her signet. There's a lot going on, and they are being picked off. Um, and there's this one amazing scene that I want to mention where we meet Varish for the first time and his dragon literally takes out like all of third wing basically uh while they're standing in formation and one of them happens to be someone who was with them fighting so i thought that that was interesting that yeah. was the first death i believe uh and after that you know again they're they're almost being picked off one by one because remember people who see things dead people don't talk <laughs> they can't yeah. talk they can't uh spill the beans on it so 
I just thought that all of this was interesting. This assassination attempt, she had to dodge at every moment. There was a lot of things happening. One where we'll talk about a little bit later when she goes into this torture room. But basically, uh, and it involves somebody else that comes back. We'll talk about him. So I don't want to give anything away. But essentially, you know, like people are being um, sent as like assassins to take her out. There's one specific, I'm talking about Violet. And there's one specifically that really just um, rings to me uh, when I think about it is, I forget her name. Was it Nadia? Nadine. Nadine, thank you. So Nadine, they're on like the sparring mat or whatever. All these people are in this classroom, whatever the setting is. And there's this one new guy or whoever. He's, I think, a first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this girl, Nadine, who was with them when they were fighting, she di- she dyes her hair violet. Um, she dyes her hair purple. So as a joke, she says somebody was like, oh, Sorengale. And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm Violet Sorengale. See the hair. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that guy breaks her neck thinking it's actually Violet Sorengale. And that was the very first attempt on her life. And basically this girl dies that didn't need to be. So I don't know if she was actually there fighting. I think she just died and she wasn't supposed to have been she, died. I uh, wasn't was... supposed to die, but... She would, yeah, she was not part of the rescue right. group. Yeah. Yeah. She was just, she just died for no reason because he thought it was Violet. Yeah. Uh, so that's when it starts and you realize, oh shit, you know, now they're really coming for them. Uh, so it's like you made it back to the school. You, your plan to reintegrate went, worked out, but we're still coming for you. So this was interesting. These parts were interesting to read and, you know, it would come out of nowhere. So I liked that. I yeah. don't know. How'd you feel about it? I liked this inclusion. I thought this was an interesting layer in the novel. I agree that it added some dimension to the plot. So we learn that these assassins are essentially being sent by Colonel Atos, who, like you said, threatens them as he's being uh, relieved of his duty at Beskayeth. He tells them something along the lines of, you know, you can't keep a secret if you're dead, something like that. And we do, we see people basically infiltrating the school as students, as cadets that are being sent to take out these this group of eight people. There's six of them that are still at the school because Garrick and Zayden have both graduated already and they're being sent to kill them. So it's Violet, Imogen, Bodhi, and then three others that we don't really learn their names until they've been killed. One of them is Aya. There's another one named, I think, Mason or something like that. And then a, a another one i don't remember their name but he gets killed like jess said at conscription day by solace who is varish's dragon and there's also we'll talk about this in more detail but at one point they send in there's four members of the infantry quadrant that are then sent to take out violet and they were that was an assassination attempt and then on top of everything else, she has Varish trying to kill her with his his own methods, <laughs> which we're going to get into now. So I, I did like that layer in the story. I thought it was interesting. I wasn't expecting that. So that was a nice little surprise, I thought, in, in the first part of this book. And yeah. I believe all three, so the only survivors at the end of part one from that group of six are Violet, Bodhi, and Imogen. However, they have all had attempts on their lives at that point. Yeah, Zandon also is there. Yes. <clears throat> I, I think there's, is there four or six of them left? There were eight of them, but there, were only, there? There, there were only six at Beskayeth because Garrick and Zayden both graduated. Right. Yeah. right. But okay. they, they attempt to get Zayden at his outpost at Samara. Samara. Um, yeah. 
But as part of their new training as second year cadets, Violet and her group of friends and the other second years are going to this class called RSC. I forgive me, Jess, I don't remember if you know what it stands for. I can't remember. But essentially, this is where they're learning how to what what to do and how to survive should they become separated from their dragons in enemy territory. So one of those things is they need to start forming a bond with the infantry quadrant because when they are sent to their their posts post graduation they will have to work alongside one another and at this point there is a lot of animosity between infantry and the riders quadrants because the infantry feels like the riders are arrogant and the riders are arrogant and they think they're better than the infantry because they have dragons which i mean let's be fair they got dragons so yeah anyway yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we do see uh in a in one series of events where they go out and this group of second squad is teamed up with the second squad from infantry and they're out in this field they've been given they've been given an elixir where it suppresses their signet power so they cannot communicate with their dragons and they can't use their their magic they can't access their magic and they have to go out and there's dragons on the loose that are hunting them from other other squads that are involved in this exercise and they have to work through that they do end up losing a member i believe of the infantry during that and that was i thought i enjoyed watching that watching it reading mm -hmm. <laughs> reading that <laughs> reading that scene and then in addition to that they have to undergo fake quote unquote fake interrogations. So we do see a chapter or so where Violet, Rianne and Sawyer and Riddick are confined to an interrogation room. They are once again given this elixir. However, Violet is able to recognize the smell of it from the time they had been given it during that infantry training. So she tells them don't drink this water because it has the elixir in it. So they actually maintain their powers during that scene, but they are beaten and interrogated they're given fake information that they're supposed to reveal however varish comes in at some point and really tries to get information out of violet and is quite brutal in his interrogation techniques and that was not fun to read but mm -hmm. very interesting it, it was good it was good it was brutal but it was good just to go back to it i was trying to think of the rsc and i thought for a second that it meant like really secret class because it wasn't <laughs> secret you're not supposed to know about it and they're like oh in second training i can't give you details yeah. except you know whatever but it really stands for rider survival course i looked it up right okay and it doesn't make sense because it's not just riders it's the infantry members as well Mm -hmm. uh, in this class. So, you know, they're being graded also. Not only that, but also a scribe is there. That's just <laughs> during, yeah, the, during Take that the one exercise. Yeah. So, you know, th there are other, uh, what are they called? Not wings. Um, Quadrant. Uh, quadrants. Yes. There are other, other quadrants that are there during this training, but overall it is geared towards the riders uh, to make sure they can survive in moments of these distressing times where, let's say, they're at battle, they're separated from their dragon, whatever. But it was new this year. Like Alex said, this elixir is brand new. This is, never had been used before until this time frame. And they don't make it clear who makes it. They don't make it clear if Varish is behind it. Uh, at least in part one, there's no solution as to why it just came about and they're using it. It's just thrown at us and it disconnects them from... Um, from their dragons and from their signets so it makes it even dif more difficult for them 
And like Alex said, you know, they're being tortured and stuff. They have this information they have to contain. And um, nobody ever in like, I think they said a decade was able to escape this one scene. Uh, They do actually escape and get their little patches for doing so on their jackets. Uh, And there's a scene where they're in this infirmary and I believe um, Violet is mended. And Nolan, basically, he is the mender there that she has a history with Violet. We learned that in the first book. Um, He basically gives her an edge and says, oh, I'm going to get rid of Varish for a moment so he doesn't torture you. You guys try to escape. So he helps her out there. Uh, And there is a scene which I thought was compelling where she has a dagger and the dagger gets drawn to, you know, I think Riddick is the one or is it Sawyer? One of them um, can try and manipulate metal and try to get out. Right. Is it Riddick? I think it's Sawyer. Okay, well, one of yeah, one of them, if it's Sawyer, he he tries to unlock the door and try to, you know, finagle stuff and he can't really do it. But Violet has one of the um, daggers on her that Zayden gave her and I guess a metal or some some uh, alloy or something that's part of it um, gets drawn to the door and helps open it. And that's how they're able to escape. I thought that scene was really great. Mm -hmm. I thought it was um, well written and very interesting. It was entertaining. You know, I was glued to the pages during that time. Um, And I really liked that they did make it out. I think. I predicted that that would happen because they said, oh, you know, no team in a decade did this. And they were like, hell yeah, we're doing it. And I was like, they're going to do it. Um, So that was refreshing to see because I didn't want to see Violet and her friends get tormented anymore by this guy who was basically manipulating what he was meant to do. He was supposed to just come in there and have them um, release this fake information that's part of the course and instead he was going deeper into other things and that was hard like alex said to read so but overall this class was interesting it came out of nowhere because it was supposed to be a quote secret right for second years Mm -hmm. um but it was interesting because it does show that they're getting some kind of useful training that they would need outside as violet definitely knows yeah um and like Alex said, somebody does die during one of the classes because it's somebody from the infantry. They're not familiar with dragons. They're afraid. A girl runs and she says, do not run. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's her demise. So Actually, it was interesting. She, it's one of the other infantry saves her and he's the one that dies. He's the one. Because, yeah, because she ran. Well, I, she she was the reason. Yeah, I agree with you about the breakout scene. It was really good to read. I liked the inclusion of Nolan, who is a mender, like you said, who's being brought in to mend them as they're being beaten so that they can then be beaten again. So mm-hmm. Violet's shoulder had been dislocated. It was already dislocated. And then Varish comes in and punches her in the shoulder. And at one point he brings Dane in as well and says, you know, get her memories for me. And Dane chooses not to. He declines because he says that he doesn't First of all, they're not supposed to bring anybody into this interrogation exercise with a prior injury, and they chose to do it with Violet anyway. Mm-hmm. And so he says, I'm not going to use my signet on somebody with a pre-existing injury. And he walks out, and Varish is disappointed in that. But I thought that it was a good moment for Dane, and I thought that it was nice to see. I enjoyed reading that. We don't get much of Dane in the book up until this point. So it was nice to see him making that decision and not just blindly going along with the leadership as one might anticipate. Once again, he is a rule follower. So he did Mm. stick with the rules. That was nice to see him being consistent in his characteristics. With the breakout scene, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked reading it. I enjoyed it. However, I would have liked to have seen them getting out based on like, 
Violet's intelligence and their combined skills versus like this magic dagger that was able to unlock it with what I assume will be a rune or something along those lines mm -hmm. with the alloy. But it was just kind of like a plot device, in my opinion. It was like, oh, how convenient that this this dagger, when it's put against the door, it unlocked it. Was it cool? Yeah. But I feel like there wasn't enough information about it for it to really make sense. And I think it just would have been more interesting for this group to have used their collective strengths to be able to get out versus just like kind of luck, which right. is my opinion on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I agree about Dean in this scenario that he, he was like, no, she's hurt. And that's another thing too. Not only did they bring her into this scenario hurt knowing she was hurt and that she shouldn't be um, to give her less of an advantage, but also they it's supposed to be at random that they grab you put something over your head or knock you out or whatever and, and then you wake up in this scenario mm -hmm. um, it's supposed to be at random but of course her violence at random was when she was supposed to be spending time with zayden so mm -hmm. this is going back to them um keeping them apart yeah uh, so that was another thing too that i was just like okay yeah. really i don't know yeah all right so Let's talk more about two new characters that are incorporated into the book uh, in the first part that I really enjoy, both of them. They definitely add another layer. So I guess we could just say like part one is an onion because we're getting some <laughs> layers here. Um, <laughs> but one of them is his name is Eric or Eric, A-A-Ron. I don't know. A-A-Ron. But it's spelled similar. A-A-R-I-C is his name, Eric. Why didn't you say it the first time I said A-A-Ron? Because it's pronounced Aaron. Son of a bitch! You done messed up, A-A-Ron! I'm going to say. Uh, and he is actually there kind of in secret uh, against his father's wishes, who happens to be the king. So he is one of the princes. And he's there because he knows information. And he is not willing to just go along with it. He wants to make a difference. I really respect him. I think he's such an interesting character. There's so much going on with him. And I like learning about him. And I can't wait to learn more about him in the second part. Um, he's also very helpful. We're going to mention a, a scene that happens. And he's helpful with that um, in making uh, a difference with Violet's investigation, you know, behind the scenes, trying to unravel things and trying to help prepare and, and stop these venom. All right. So the other character is her name is Sloan. You guessed it. This is Liam's sister, who Liam asked Violet at the end of the last book when he was dying to please protect his sister. Sloan doesn't make that easy for her. I really like Sloan. Mm -hmm. So Sloan comes in. She immediately just does not like Violet, thinks Violet's responsible for her brother's death. Um, but she asks, she has to earn her trust, Violet, even though she's trying to protect her. So I really liked this. Uh, I liked that it was different. You know, she wasn't just a marked kid who comes in and knows how to train, you know, knows how to fight. She has no idea how to fight. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of parts of Sloan where I think Violet sees, recognizes things about herself too. So she's not just, you know, somebody's little sister she wants to protect because she loved Liam. Um, but it's somebody who she sees uh, some, some, somebody who needs her help. Um, and she does do that. She, she, uh, she goes back to her poisoning skills Violet and tries to help her out on the mat Sloan. But basically we're just seeing in the first part, um, where Sloan does not like Violet, blames her for her brother's death, and Violet has to try to turn that around. Uh, Violet does break into Liam's room. A lot of things were going to be burned. She saves the letters that he wrote for his sister. Like, they, I think he had asked her to do that. That was a promise she made and she kept. Um, but she makes it that Sloan has to earn them by fighting and learning to train with Imogen to receive the letters. And then 
you know, hopefully their relationship will improve in the second part. But very interesting. I really liked both those new characters. I think that they were well developed and I really enjoy reading them. So, yeah, I agree with you. I really liked the inclusion of these two new characters. And I think that not only do they seem to have an important role to play, but they're interesting and they're fun. So Eric, great. I I don't know how his name is pronounced. I, I've been calling him Eric, but Aaron. It could, uh, yeah, Aaron. He <laughs> is the king's son, and he's there. That's actually a pseudonym. His name, his real name is Cameron, and then I don't remember the last name, but he goes by Eric Greycastle. And um, oh man, I almost called Violet Scarlet again. <laughs> Violet recognizes him immediately because she's at a uh, conscription day when they're going over the parapet these first years, she recognizes him and she's like, what are you doing? And he's just like, nobody will know. <laughs> Which I think it's interesting that up until this point in the book, nobody does seem to know. I like, know. It's just kind of weird. Because no one that, would expect that. Yeah. It's just kind of funny though. I, I really like this, this plot line. And I really like the fact that we have one of the king's own sons that is saying, I'm going to take a stand and do what's right. And he is aware of what's going on, which implies that the king also knows which i think we could have assumed but now we know for sure yeah. and i just really enjoyed his character there was a scene where he and zayden are like really butting heads and it was just kind mm -hmm. of funny i enjoyed it and sloan i think is hilarious she's a little brat but it makes sense and i just think she's funny she comes on the scene she's kind of arrogant like yeah i don't need your help i got this but then meanwhile she sucks at everything and she does need their help and violet does help her and every time she does someone's like i don't need your help i'm not doing that but then she does it anyway because she knows it's in her own best interest one of my favorite scenes in the book up until this point was the scene that you were just talking about where Sloane's getting her ass beat on the on the mats and Violet goes back to her poisoning skills. She takes this other opponent out for a minute or two that allows Sloane to then be able to get the upper hand in the fight. And then the scene that follows that where Violet is kind of like fed up with Sloane at this point and she just confronts her and she's like, listen, you don't have to like me. I don't give a shit. I'm the reason you just survived that. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, you're going to train with Imogen or you're going to and you're going to shut up about it. Like she just goes hard on her and she's like, I don't I don't care anymore. This is what you're going to do. And then Imogen's like, oh, my God, you're amazing. She's like, is that how you like survived the first year with this poisoning <laughs> skills? That's genius. And she's like, I see it now. What Satan sees in you? Like it was just a fun scene. And I actually really liked Violet pilot during this scene because there were a lot of moments we talked about earlier where I just was really frustrated with Violet in this book. But during this scene, I was like, yes, this is the Violet that I want to see. This is the Violet right. that I know and respect. And she also seemed more mature at this point as well. Whereas a lot of other points in the book, I did feel she was a little regressed and sounded much more immature. So it was mm -hmm. really nice to see her. I also really liked that she was showing some really excellent leadership skills during this as well, where she has this loyal group of friends. She's got this protege in Sloan, even though Sloan hates her, and she's doing the right thing for her squad and her team and it was just such a great scene I, I loved I loved that scene yeah she reminds me too um Sloan of you know beginning Violet where Violet was like I don't need anybody's help I can do it you know yeah. I'm smart I can figure it out for myself and then Sloan ha comes in with that same attitude where it's like girl you need help yeah you know and she has to learn a, a few things and it's funny too because like Alex said you know when she 
is done with this fight on the mat and Violet saves the day with her poisoning skills. Violet confronts her about it and says, hey, like, you survived because of me. And she's like, no, I survived, didn't I? And it's like, girl, you know you didn't survive on your own. Like, girl, stop. Yeah. It was just, it was fun <laughs> to read. I, I really do like Sloane. And she's such a change up from her brother. Because Liam yeah. was just this great, you respect him. He was the best fighter. Yeah. Um, He was definitely hot. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's another thing, too, that we're going to talk about. Because Liam does make a reappearance in this yeah. book in a different way that the next character does. Yeah. So as we mentioned a little earlier, there have been these assassination attempts on the this group of cadets that were at Resin and were fighting the Venon and the Wyverns. And one of those scenes there, I, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but there's four infantry men who are sent as assassins to kill Violet and they attack her. She's with Aya, who was also present at Resin, and they attack them and she gets saved. She almost gets killed. Aya does get killed and they almost, they almost succeed here. But then Jack Barlow, Plot twist. Yeah, who we find out had been mended by Nolan and had been on the mend for this, I guess, entire period since we thought he had been killed. He is actually alive and he ends up saving Violet during this scene. And he has an interaction with her where she's like, you saved me? Like, what the hell? And he's kind of like, oh, well, let's call it even because, you know, you did this and now I did this for you. And it's, it's a whole thing. So just tell us what your thoughts on this were riveting i mean you know obviously violet's on the edge of death and she's literally i think on the edge of a cliff and he has to yeah. pull her up he saves her mm -hmm. and you wouldn't expect jack this douchebag from the first one who was trying to kill her the whole time to save her but he basically says that you know he has a new outtake on life after um being saved and he saves her but he does say i didn't know it was you yeah so he was being the good guy, which is definitely not Jack because mm -hmm. he was the bad guy in the last one. Mm -hmm. uh, but he he was he wants it to be the good guy. He he saves somebody, but he doesn't realize it's Violet. So maybe later on now, you know, he won't have any, um, you know, hey, like, sorry, I tried to kill you in the last one. I saved you this time. Now, nothing holding us back. They're enemies. Yeah. But as far as this part goes, it was a shock. You know, I, you wouldn't expect Jack Barlow a to be alive. Okay, and then B to save her life mm -hmm. after she definitely almost cost his. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to read. It was it was um, interesting. The whole scene was fun to read because, like Alex said, the infantry just shows up uh, trying to assassinate her, does take her friend out who was there. She was on the hit list. Um, they do. They are successful taking her out. And um, I just thought it was good. Uh, the whole intro induction to Jack being back. <laughs> Mm -hmm. For lack of a better phrase, Jack is. Back. I don't know how I feel about it. Oh, okay. The the actual scene. Well, no, just the fact that he survived. Gotcha. I feel like that's supposed to be like exactly like a gotcha moment, mm -hmm. and it's like Jack's not dead. So I know that something's gonna build up from that, and there's gonna be a reason why he's back because Becky Yaryar was probably like, "Let's bring him back to do X Y Z." So I'm interested to see what that will be. Yeah, I agree with you. I so I actually. When I first started this, I was trying to go through my predictions. And one of my thoughts was, I think Jack might come back as a Venom in this book. I did not expect him to come back as anything else. And I didn't really understand. They they basically are just like, oh, yeah, Nolan mended him. But he was straight up in fourth wing. Like he was struck with lightning. I think like I think Violet 
literally tore a cliff like a whole mountain apart mm -hmm. with her lightning and he was buried under it yeah so i'm sorry but how the fuck did he survive that i don't care what nolan did with his mending how did he do it okay it doesn't make sense to me and we don't get any explanation everybody's just like hey he's still alive and he's perfectly fine except now he's nice so i liked that he had a change in character i like the idea of a villain going through the sense of reckoning and facing death head on and then changing their outlook on life so i like that twist however i don't think this makes sense and we don't get any answers at least I know. At, at this point in the novel so i didn't appreciate that like you said the, the reveal it to me it just doesn't make sense at one point earlier in the novel nolan so he seems to be deteriorating. They make mention that he seems really weak and off his game. He, his mending of the students and the cadets is waning. It's not as effective. And he mentions at one point to Violet, oh, it's difficult to mend a soul or something along those lines. And I think we're supposed to assume that he was talking about Barlow. This was prior to us finding out that Barlow was still alive. But what does that mean? And mm. are we going to get answers about it? I hope we do. But otherwise, I like the idea of Barlow coming back as, you know, a potentially changed character. I wasn't expecting that, but I think we needed more answers. And I agree with you, Jess, that this was supposed to be like jaw drop. Oh my gosh. Without any consideration for how this actually makes sense. Definitely. I, <laughs> I mean, you don't expect it. You think he's dead. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, bam, he's back. And how convenient. Came yeah. back just in time to save Violet. What? Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm conflicted about it. So let's read, you know, part two and see if there's anything that makes sense or at least makes it more makes it make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was just kind of like thrown in there without yeah. any like super details. And I'm just like, all right. OK. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, right after this scene takes place too, um, one of my favorite parts uh, in part one is we were introduced to Yesenia. I think it's Yesenia or Jesenia, but I think it might be Yesenia. Um, but we're introduced to her. She is one of the scribes. She grew up with Violet. They know each other. We're given a lot more dimension to her character, which I loved in this, where it wasn't just, you know, her signing, her talking with her and getting her books and doing her, you know, deeds. Uh, she's actually got dimension where she's trying to figure stuff out herself. I think that's super interesting that she's, you know, realizing that, hey, they're keeping stuff from me. Um, so she actually, a book Violet asked her about in the first book, in uh, Fourth Wing, she didn't have it. And she was confused because she's like, wait, we have everything. I don't understand why we don't have this book. And that helped her start thinking. And I love when characters start thinking for themselves. Yeah. So Yesenia is definitely one of those characters. I really like her. I, I like, I, you're absolutely right. Like, I loved Becky Yaya's development of side characters. I feel like side characters stole the show for me yeah. in part one. So same here. Yes. Yeah. So Yesenia is very interesting to read. She wants to help Violet out. Violet is very bold in telling her some in, some of her intentions and some things that she wants to look up. She can't do it without her help. Uh, and Yesenia is more than happy to help her out uh, as long as she helps her out as well and gives her some of her information. She wants to see that book that she wasn't allowed to read. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. So they are helping each other out, even though obviously it's posing risks to themselves individually. Bottom line is she agrees to help out in not only breaking out books for Violet, but Violet breaking in to get mm -hmm. books 
she uncovers that there's this secret vault that she didn't even know about. And she's the one that's a scribe working here. You know, she didn't even know that this vault existed, but she finds out it does. And then uh, Violet, on the day that Zayden's there, her friends, they all come up with this plan to break in and steal this book. And of course, she lets Eric know because she had already had a prior discussion with him that he knows all about the venom and everything and he wants to fight against it. So she's like, I'm going to include you uh, because I think that it's smart. And thank God he's there uh, because there is some wards placed that's royalty only and he has an edge that without him, they wouldn't have possibly been able to break some barriers. So I love this. I think she included him. Definitely. Uh, I loved this scene. I loved the whole time's a ticking uh <laughs> situation yeah. where they're you know right fighting against the clock um they're fighting against all these wards and all these things against them and they're all using their signets this was equivalent but better um from the first book when they were breaking into general sorengale's office and they were trying to find things it was on par with that because i loved that scene in yeah. the first book um and this gave me the same vibes and i really liked this scene uh, i loved that they were working together but at the same time they like alex had mentioned briefly earlier you know zayden and eric have some issues with each mm-hmm. other because zayden killed his brother mm-hmm. uh we learned that and he's like but hey he was a douchebag you seem <laughs> cool i don't know it was just fun <laughs> Uh, to hear about that and learn about that. And then, you know, they're, again, racing the clock and they're trying to find these journals of the first six writers because um, Violet wants to know how they built the wards and how she can do the same to protect Aretia, Arisha, however you want to call it, and to protect the civilians and the people that she loves, a.k.a. her brother, Zayden, etc. Uh, so they break in. They end up finding two of the journals. They against the clock is against them i think if the doors would have closed they would have died um or at one point if it closed uh behind them in some certain area they'd have to wait overnight but they Mm -hmm. they do make it out intact uh but eric puts his hands in one of the wards and it basically boils his hands uh and he has you know these blisters everywhere and he has to um either see amanda right away or he has to protect that and it does trip something uh, well, we learn where it does trip uh, an alarm and they do check her friends to see if any of them have, you know, marks on their arms or something to see how they possibly broke in places. Uh, but they don't even think to ask Eric. And he's the one that's hiding out. It was very fun to read. Very interesting. I loved this scene. And then it escalates even from there. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, it's still going. This is fun. Yeah. You know? All right. I really, I really liked this scene as well. I thought that this was really nice to see the teamwork, like you said. Yeah, it was really cool to see them working together as a group of, in in some ways, very reluctant members of this team. So they are all working together for the same outcome. However, right. these are people that don't necessarily like each other. They don't get along, but they they're working together because they know it's the right thing to do. That's one of the things I loved about the conflict between Eric and Zayden was that they're these two people with clear conflict between the two of them, and yet they know that they need to work together to protect their people. And it was just nice to see that. I I enjoyed reading about that. The whole break-in scene, it was very fast-paced. It was a lot of action. You were on the edge of your seat. I didn't think they were all going to make it out. I thought at least Mm -mm. one of them was going to get stuck in there. And I was glad that they all got out, but I really did not expect that. 
I love Jasenia in this book. So she actually plays a, a pretty large role in the first part of this book, at least. And we see her, like Jess said, working with not Scarlet, Violet. <laughs> we see her working with her to uncover information about how the wards were initially built so that they can then build a new one to protect Aratia or Aredia. I don't know how it's pronounced, um, but they're working together. I also really liked that Jasenia approached Violet and was like, hey, something's not right. I think there's something they're keeping from us. And then she presents her with the evidence. The reason I love this so much is because they make such a big deal about the scribes being intelligent. We know that Violet was a scribe or trained to be a scribe, and she was supposed to be best in her class, but Jasenia is now pretty much best in her class. So it was nice to see her using her critical thinking skills and saying, hey, based on this evidence that I'm being presented, this is the conclusion that I've come to. And now I need to talk to Violet because I think she's the only one that I can trust with this. It was really cool to see that. It's not just a bunch of people going along with things for no reason, despite their intelligence and their ability to think for themselves. So I, I really enjoyed that. Also, after the whole break-in, they do get away with the books and Violet has one of them in her bag and she is sitting down with Nolan who she's drinking a glass of lemonade. And at this point, Nolan, it turns out, had slipped that elixir into the lemonade. This is after they've gotten the books and they think that they're basically scot-free. They think they got away with it. And then it turns out Nolan is aware. He gives her this elixir without her realizing it. And he takes her into a, an interrogation room. And that leads us into our next topic. But that's the, the actual outcome. So they actually do catch Violet after all this is said and done, but everyone else does seem to get away with it. They do make it a point, like Jess said, to go around checking all of her friends, checking their hands to see if they had the boils. They didn't check Arik. They didn't think to check him because they don't really see him as part of her group. However, they do go around checking other people. And at this point, his hands have been mended by somebody other than Nolan. So that was also lucky. And it, it was very beneficial in them being able to get away with this. But at the end, Violet does get taken into an interrogation room, which leads us to our next point in the book, which is she gets tortured. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. So she's brought to an interrogation room and basically Varish is trying to get information from her about what she stole from the archives. At that point, they're not really sure what was stolen or what's missing. They're still trying to figure that out. And he's also trying to get information from her about the revolution and what she knows in regards to the venom, etc. She doesn't say a single thing to him. She undergoes extreme amounts of physical pain and torture. She's broken physically in every way imaginable. And then Varish brings in Nolan consistently to mentor just so that he can continue breaking her. We also see at this point, she believes she's starting to hallucinate. She's starting to break. I believe she's being tortured for a total of five days. She knows that at that point, at the fifth day mark, there's still two days before she is, before Zayden is expected to be coming to Baskayeth. And she knows that once he gets there, most likely she thinks he would be able to save her. However, it turns out that might be part of Varish's plan that he actually wants to capture Zayden. And he knows that Violet being in his custody will be a catalyst for that. And just a whole bunch of shit goes down. <laughs> But so while she's being tortured, like I said, she's physically broken. She's trying to maintain her mental sanity. And as a result, she starts seeing what she believes to be a, a hallucination of Liam. And I think it's suggested pretty heavily in the book that he's 
maybe not a hallucination just because of how he's able to interact with her and he keeps telling her that he's really there and she's like oh this is just my brain tricking me and he is responsible for keeping her intact mentally and emotionally he keeps her from going insane and from breaking so i don't want to say that i enjoyed reading this because it was brutal it was really rough but it was also really interesting it did keep me glued to the pages and on the edge of my seat what did what did you think so just to go back really quick to um yesenia what i really liked is that that rsc class that we had mentioned their um survival course was teaching them to work together as a team with other quadrants and in real time violet was working with other quadrant already so she was you know team building um and that sets it up too i think for what we're gonna maybe expect in the second part and i just wanted to say that but yesenia was one of those ones kind of like dane she was kind of mirroring dane in a way where she wants to follow the rules do the right thing um and you actually get a scene where a writer had asked her a request which she's supposed to do journal entries to uh, keep records of it ends up getting him killed her doing that her following the rules so that's what another thing i think that pushed her and propelled her to be like all right well they're hiding things from me i'm getting people killed doing what i'm supposed to be doing by following the rules i'm breaking the rules so i just wanted to bring that up because i forgot to mention that earlier but she does mention uh, prior to that though that she had not followed the rules when uh violet asked for that copy of the book the fables yep and she didn't log that. And if she yeah. had, Violet probably would have gotten yes. in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So we do see that even though Dane is supposed to have been her best friend, this girl who she grew up with seems to be a better friend, more loyal. Um, because I think Dane would have turned her in. But whatever. Maybe not. We'll see. I still don't like him. Anyway, um, <laughs> as Alex had said, Nolan violated her trust, poisons her. I don't know how I feel about that. Why would he really do that for Varish? I don't know. I have some some feelings with that, but I'll gloss over that because it's really not that important to me. It's just that she believed that he would be doing the right thing. Once again, she always has people that she feels like are going to do the right thing. Dane, looking at you. And um, and then, you know, violates her trust, whatever. And I'm talking about not Dane putting her in that scenario because maybe he didn't know, but touching her face against her will. Um, I'm still mad about that. So anyway, uh, going into this, like Alex said, you know, Varish is basically baiting Violet to lure Zayden into this um, area because he he's the one he really wants to interrogate. He's the one he wants to break. He's, you know, he's doing everything he can to try and get into his head and see what's going on because he has his suspicions that there's a, resu- um, there's a revolution forming and he wants to get to the bottom of that. Uh, and during this torture scene, like Alex said, it's so hard to read because you just see Violet getting tortured and you don't want that for her. Um, but it was also heartwarming in a way because Liam comes back on the scene. She loved Liam and he it just appears, like Alex said, as a hallucination. But is he? We have our thoughts on this and we talked about this. So, you know, Anne Tarna is going through her dreamless sleep. She can't stop time anymore. But she's going to have something that's going to form a signet for Violet. So maybe Violet is building it up during this time because you remember it comes from within the rider um, that this is what she needs. Uh, she's got her electricity right for when she wants to be stronger um maybe during times of weakness she wants to be stronger mentally so that's why she's inventing people that she loved to see again who knows we don't have that answer just yet but it was really interesting that liam was there helping her through and at times when it was hard to read um you know i got emotional with liam um because i did love him as a character i was sad when he when he died uh, and then when he comes back to help Violet, um, whether it's a hallucination all in her head or whatever the case may be, 
um, I really enjoyed reading his parts and his presence as well for her. And it was just interesting, the whole Dane thing. Um, so when Dane comes in, we hate Dane. And when Dane comes in and, you know, he's basically Varish is like, she's the enemy. She's the enemy. And he's like, all right, I'm going to touch your face. And I'm like, fuck, man. You know, and she can't put her shields up, everything, all her training out the window because he's going to see. But she's able to funnel it in a way that she could show him what she wants him to say, which I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's able to look into her head. I'm sure she showed him, hey, your dad's a piece of shit. Hey, your dad's trying to have me and my boyfriend killed. Hey, your dad's a douchebag. And this is everything that's been going on. This is what we were thrown into. She shows him all of that stuff. And uh, it's written that you think he's going to be against her because of the way he says it. Kind of like that, I'll miss you, Violet, in the first one. He's like, you should have trusted me, Violet. You know, one of those. And I'm just like, oh, man, come on. He's still going to be a douchebag. And then all of a sudden he kind of turns around and just like throws a dagger at Varish and is like, come on, let's go. And I was like, thank God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, and it made me think of you because you were like, I hope he has a redemption arc. And I hope. And I was like, all right, here it is. Yeah. Finally. So I really, really enjoyed that. Like Alex said, you can't really say how I enjoyed reading this scene because it's a torture scene. But I did in certain parts. In certain parts really were great because it was like, okay. We finally have a scene with Dane and he's able to um, redeem himself and he does. And then um, going forward, obviously Varish is near death and he says, okay, you finish him off because, Mm -hmm. you know, Zayden's like, she's the one. It's not your person to kill. It's it's Violet. And Zayden does appear, even though uh, she's not expecting him right away, because every seven days he did learn about it. He did cause a scene. He killed a, a wyvern and like dropped him and caused like this whole uproar. Where it's starting to, you know, be put in people's faces. I have an issue with that, with Zayden. Uh, we, we didn't really talk about this. I'm just kind of glossed over it. I'm just going to mention it briefly. But Zayden tells Violet, you can't tell your friends things, you know. And that works for him. Violet does say that. Like, she's like, okay, maybe that works for him, mm-hmm. but I need my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole time, he's like, you got to keep this under wraps because it, you know, it's the revolution. You can't tell. You can't tell. And then all of a sudden, he's like, all right, you told your friends. Let's tell everyone. Let me just drop a wyvern. And get you saved. So I feel like it blinds his judgment and he's starting to maybe not cave, but I don't know. He's not holding true to who he was. His character definitely changes. Okay. I don't Um, know. How do you feel about that? Well, I'll get into that in a minute. First, I did want to say I do believe that Violet's second signet. So she does have two dragons. It's implied that she will get a second signet. I do think it's going to be that she's able to communicate with the deceased. And I think Mm. that that was a manifestation with Liam. So I am excited to see if we get more of that in the second part of the novel, as well as more in the rest of the series. And I really enjoyed the Dane thing. I was not surprised by this. As soon as they brought Dane in, during the interrogation, he did the right thing. I was like, he's going to do the right thing again. He doesn't want to see Violet tortured and broken and in pain. And I I predicted that he was going to help her. And that's exactly what he did. I was very happy about it. I did want to see his redemption arc. I don't think Dane is a bad person. I think he's been misguided. And I I really enjoyed his redemption here. When Zayden appears, so prior to him coming up, they they mentioned that the revolution as a whole had killed several wyverns and dropped them at several of the border outposts. And I think that it's not because of Violet. It's because 
things are getting worse with the venom. So at the beginning of the novel, they suggest that there's maybe a year before the venom actually make it to Best Guy at the Navarre and are attacking. And they, Brennan believes that it's actually closer to six months. So things are amping up to a point where they can't keep quiet anymore. They need to make people aware. I think that that's why the revolution is starting to amp things up. And then when it gets to this point, Zayden comes in, he kills everybody, literally everybody to the point where Garrick is like, damn, bro, you could have let me kill someone. Like I had a, there were bodies as barriers for me trying to help you. Um, but he comes in to, to rescue Violet. At this point, Dane has already killed or at least injured Varish. Violet ends up taking that final blow for him or on him. And they, so before they go out, we also see General Sorengale shows up and she dropped some truth on them too so did we want to get into that yet well before we do just really quick you mentioned the telling everybody the the thing that bothered me was i feel like we got all of this filler fluff about zayden fighting with um i was gonna call her scarlet too (laughs) fighting with violet and then all of a sudden at the end when things really start to pop off it propels too fast in my opinion it's exciting and it's the stuff i really wanted to read but it propels too quickly, where Zayden's just like, fuck it, let's go. Here, this, that, Wyvern, let's tell everyone. It was just a little, like, I feel like it could have been more developed uh, properly yeah. in the first part, more efficiently, rather than all of that filler fluff with Zayden. And, you know, I feel like that stuff could have been taken out. Zayden, not not yeah. now condensed. I so definitely... Like, so fast-paced with that, it could have been, like, more better developed. That's just how I feel, and that's just an issue with her writing, in my opinion. I was going to say, I have issues with her writing, and I'll talk about that more then. But in terms of him telling Violet to keep things under wraps, that was more because he... No, I understand why. Well, he... So that the listeners know. It was It was so that if she were to tell Rhiannon, Rhiannon isn't trained in her shields, her mental shields. So if Dane were to touch Rhiannon, they could get all of the information about the revolution. So I did understand where he was coming from with that. But I think at that point where things started wrapping up, we don't know what's going on with the revolution because we're reading this from Violet's perspective and she's not with the revolution at this point. She's at the school. So she doesn't know what their plans are and what they're talking about. And and so I think it makes sense that we didn't get as much development with that. But I agree that there was a lot of filler in this book that shouldn't have been there. Yeah, we could have gotten it developed by the time when she's the times when she's with Zayden. Rather than them having the same conversation, that repetitive talk every every time. We could have had some some world building as to what's going on with you know this revolution so this way it wasn't just a boom it happens here it is we what we should have gotten in the first part of this book is violet and zayden resolving their issues quickly training on how to use her shields and then learning more about the revolution during their time together that's what should have been the first part of this novel not this relationship melodrama that becky yaros was like stuck on for a good portion of this book yeah, and I think it stems from the fact that she's a romance writer. So she's putting all this yeah. harping, you know, all of her energy into this romance or this lack of. And I, instead, we could be building this yeah. fantasy. And I think that's just goes to show that this is her debut fantasy book. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> on this that I'll talk about when we get to her writing. I'm sure I agree. Okay. Yeah. As Alex just briefly, quickly mentioned, we do have a standoff situation where she's talking to her moms. Momsy Womsy comes on the scene right after she kills Varish, Violet, 
Varish Violet, loud tongue twister there. <laughs> but yeah, right after uh, Violet finishes what Dane started and, and takes out Varish, General Sorengale shows up. And not only does she show up, but Zayden's like, look, we got to go. You know, let's figure out what's going to happen. And hilarious banter between him and Dane. He's like, are you with us or not, Atos? Are you with us? And he's like, I, I guess. He's like, all right, then follow me, Atos. Like, it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I loved that scene. Um, but I really, I did enjoy this scene with Violet and her mom because they, it answered some questions that we had, uh, you know, and we find out a lot of things, uh, especially that she's the one that whipped Zayden. And Zayden was basically doing her a favor because he she did a favor. Oh, whipping him sounds like it's a favor, right? It wasn't, but it was because this is why uh, the marked ones were able to go into the writer's quadrant rather than die or whatever. Zayden takes responsibility for them. And we learned that her mom is behind that, which we knew. But this like solidifies that. We also learned that she does give a shit about her daughter. Uh, you know, she's not just this cold hearted bitch who threw her daughter into a writer's quadrant. There's a reason why she did that. And we get all the uh, the information on that and that Zayden was basically there um, not to kill General Sorengale's daughter, but to protect her. And that's why she survived when he had seen her in uh, Fourth Wing when she was hiding in the tree and he didn't kill her on sight. He was helping her. So that we do get some back information about that. I really appreciated that. Uh, and I really liked this um, engagement that she had with her mom. Um, you learn some things. I think that it's interesting. The mother didn't leave with them. So obviously there's going to be something developing with that. I just I liked this whole thing. Um, and then she basically says, listen, I, Violet, I can't leave without bringing people for this revolution. Let's give them a chance. Let's tell them. And then Zayden gives oh, the big speech. Uh, and Zayden goes out there and is like, yo, this is what's happening. Yeah, you're with, you're with us or you're not. And Violet projects through Tarn, who, of course, is grumpy and doesn't want to do it. Um, but he does. He projects the whole Venom situation, shows them firsthand. This is what I went through. You know, when we were battling, it was supposed to be war games. This is what's out there. Do you want to come with us and actually learn how to fight this? Or do you want to stay in the dark? Mm -hmm. And half of the school comes with them and half of them kind of stays in the dark. So that's going to be interesting in part two. And as the series develops to see how that um, how that goes, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But this was very exciting. This was all the end of the part. Uh, part one and it was exciting to read that whole last couple yeah. of chapters yeah I agree I did enjoy the scene with her mom I thought it was interesting because initially Violet was kind of scared that her mom was there and she was like no like you know I can't trust her but then it turns out she can and her mom so Violet basically confronts her mother and says you are aware that all of these innocent civilians are being killed and yet you still do nothing and her mom tells her when you're a parent ask yourself what you would sacrifice to to protect your own children and i really like that it's very cold but i like it to me that was realistic for somebody like general sorengale and i just thought it was impactful and i think that violet while she disagreed with her mother i think she was able to understand her mother a little bit better and i think she also came away with some closure knowing that her mother actually does give a shit about her mm -hmm. and has actually been working to protect her this whole time like you mentioned she was placed into the writer's quadrant to protect her from the scribes who we do learn are behind the censorship of the history and the information about the venom and everything that's going on we already suspected that from the first novel we get that confirmed earlier on in this novel and that made sense i was like that's cool i like that the whole reveal with her and zayden between the you know general sorengale saying you know protect my daughter i was kind of like okay i don't know how i feel mm. about this it's fine i didn't hate it but i also was kind of like i don't know how i feel about it yeah 
Um, it was just kind of weird to me and I have thoughts on that as well. And in terms of them leaving, I actually thought it was really funny because Zayden does end up giving the speech, but at first Dane tries. Yeah. <laughs> he tries so hard because he's the wing leader. They're like, this is your job. And he just fails. It's like, I felt bad for him, honestly, because like nobody was listening to him. And Zayden was like, all right, enough. And just like steps up and yeah. he, you know, explains everything. And then, so the thing that I really liked in this scene was that we find out that the dragons have chosen sides. So That's there's right. some, there's some dragons that are, yes, we need to fight this. And then there's some dragons that agree with somebody like General Sorengale. And they're like, no, 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 we need to stay here and protect what's ours. And so when Taryn projects his memories to the other dragons, the ones that choose not to share that information with their their riders, those people don't even know because mm -hmm. their dragons withheld it from them. So I thought that that was a really interesting twist. I didn't really see that coming. They do mention it kind of earlier on that dragons still have a lot of secrets that they're withholding and that they've taken sides and some of them don't agree with the revolution. But I didn't realize that they were taking sides in the sense where they would actually hold their riders back because at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones on the front lines. I think it, they make it clear that the dragons do this because they're protecting their young and they don't mm -hmm. want their secrets they feel are more important than this entire war that's building well it's, they want to keep their secrets and they don't want to move their young so i think that that's why it comes do. down to their hatching grounds which yeah. not only is a sacred place for them but it's also a source of extreme magic it's where the dragons get most of their magic from right. but it's also what the venom want so in their minds they have to protect that at all costs mm -hmm. however there are also hatching grounds in erasia they just haven't been used in quite some time this is another reason why they need to put the wards up around erasia and that's because they do need to protect this other sacred ground where the venom if they were to infiltrate that area they could derive a lot of magic from it so it's it's important and now they have a big group of people that are going to be working with them that have taken their side and it, i think they mention you know they're all flying there's like 200 dragons 100 riders and they're all heading to the revolution and that's where part one pretty much ends as they're arriving in erasia so i i really liked all of this and i oh i wanted to mention also that jasenia and two other scribes also choose to join as well yes so yes. I really like that because I was yeah. worried. I was like, you're going to leave my girl, Jasenia? Like, she's been helping you this whole time. But she, they got word to her and she made it a point to make it there. And she brought two friends with her as well. And Doesn't I, I some infantry come too or no? I don't think so. But I, I believe it was just the writers at this point and the three scribes. Well, that brings us to also some teachers coming along. Yeah. This this was really interesting. And me and Alex talked about this earlier, but there's um, Emeterio, right? So when Violet comes back from something, he's like, listen, you know, I don't have favorites, Violet. I don't have favorite students. But if I did, I would <laughs> have favorite student this. You know, I just thought he was cute. Mm -hmm. um, I loved uh, Devera, Dalvera. Yeah, the female one. Um, She was great also. And you could tell that, you know, she not favors Violet, but you could tell that she sees something in her. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just really loved how this came together when we learned that some of the scribes are going to come. It, it really brings back that teamwork aspect between quadrants. And it makes it come into play here. And I loved that. It would have been weird if it was just writers that left. Um, but I love that the, some of the teachers of like, hey, you know, we've been we've been waiting for this yeah. to pop off. We've been waiting to join this. We knew it was happening. And I thought that was great to see. And I like that some of them stepped um, out of this 
box uh, that maybe they didn't like Varish this entire time and they just kind of went along with it until this happens because they wanted to to leave and, and, and make a difference. And I really like that. And uh, I think we're getting the idea that maybe in part two, they're going to be resuming training but elsewhere um, outside the college. So that'll be interesting to read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked some of the teachers in this book so far. We get just more information about them. I loved that scene with Emeterio. I thought it was the cutest scene and it was really nice to see somebody having her back. There was another scene as well where she returns after having left abruptly without leave to go because Zayden had been injured. Turns out he was okay, but she was supposed to be subject to punishment as a result of leaving without permission. Mission, and she comes back and Professor Kaori intervenes while Varish is attempting to search her, her stuff, and also making it clear that he's intending to punish her. And Kaori's like, hey, I already went to Penchek. Like, no, she won't be punished. So mm -hmm. I liked seeing some of the teachers stepping up. We also see Devera. Uh, there's a few points in the book where Violet is kind of questioning. She's like, is she on her side? Is she not? Like, she's trying to get a read on her. So it was really nice to see that at the end of this part of the book that she was good. She was working with her this whole time or supporting her. And she already was aware of what was going on, was aware of the revolution and wanted to be a part of it so i yeah. i enjoyed that reveal in this book yeah i really like the way that part one wrapped up and ended and it did it did answer some questions uh it gave us some closure as well as giving violet some closure so i really liked that uh and i'm excited to read on and see what happens in part two um as far as <laughs> becky yar yar's writing overall we've kind of touched on it here and there because we just couldn't mm -hmm. help ourselves mm -hmm. let's dive into that yeah okay so i had issues with Rebecca Yaros in Fourth Wing. And if you go back and listen to our two episodes on that, you can get a summary of my thoughts. I don't know how I feel about her as an author. I This sounds mean, but I don't really respect her as an author. So I think that she has a lot of issues in this book. One of them is the world building. And I'll save that discussion actually for the second part, because I believe more of that comes into play in the second part. However, I think she just doesn't explain things well. So we have that issue with the dagger. We have the thing with Jack Barlow still being alive and we just don't get any information there's there's no fleshing out we don't understand how these things work I need to understand how this works in order to believe that it's something that could happen in this universe and she really lacks in that area in addition to that I felt that she changed some of the characters personalities in this book to fit the plot one of them was General Sorengale so while I enjoyed General Sorengale in this book and I liked how her character the direction it went it was not consistent with what we had seen in the first book, in my opinion. And and the reason I say that is because, yes, we get this scene with the reveal when she shows up with Satan. However, in the beginning of the book, when they first come back to the school, Violet makes it a point to say that her mom looks visibly relieved to see that she's alive. Meanwhile, in the first book, all we ever see is her looking completely blank-faced. She doesn't show emotion. And regardless of what's going on, she never makes it known how she feels. So I thought it was really odd for that to just be randomly thrown in there she's standing in front of the whole school and all the leadership and she's just suddenly showing emotion I thought it was annoying I felt that way with Violet and Zayden they in my opinion were super immature in this book I think they handled things really poorly and I thought that their relationship was immature I didn't like it it was the worst part of the book for me then the other thing I have an issue with Rebecca is that yes she's not a fantasy writer she is a romance writer I do believe that she wanted to cash in on the extreme popularity of fantasy novels right now, particularly
particularly romanticies. Mm. And so she came up with this idea, but I don't think she's executing it well. And I think that it's a money grab. While I do enjoy the story, I enjoyed this book far less than I enjoyed Fourth Wing. There were many points during the first part of this book, especially where I straight up kept thinking, I hate this. And I wanted to do like, DNF it at some points because it was so frustrating to me. I had a lot of issues with the pacing of this novel. It it went to from boring, 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 exciting scene, boring, 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 melodrama. It was just, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I just have, I just have issues. And the thing that I have an issue with, with the Zayden reveal about him protecting her, I do think she takes ideas and concepts from other authors that she has seen find a lot of success and popularity. And I think she twists them into her own thing, but I think that she's trying to use the same concepts to pack an emotional punch that those other novels did. I don't think it pays off as well. I think it's evident in the writing and I think it's manipulative and I don't like it. And I'm sorry yeah. that this was very like passionate, yes. but I've had these thoughts for a long time. And I just, yeah. you know, I, I had my thoughts about her with Fourth Wing. I was giving her a second chance with Iron Flame. I was like, I hope it gets better. But this just cemented a lot of my ideas and made me think even less of her as an author. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback off that. So uh, there was a moment when I had just started reading it because, of course, Amazon was like, you're not going to read it on time. <laughs> I would told you that saga. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I was just nail biting. I was like, what's happening? What's going on? What's going on? Um, and Alex just was like, I'm not telling you anything. Thing, but I will say that I think she's a lazy writer. And I was like, ooh, she is. So that stuck with me. And you know what? I'm going to agree that this is some lazy writing because there's a lot of scenes where it's like, okay, you could be doing this, giving us the world building. You could be doing this, giving us the actual facts, but instead you're giving me fluff. Mm -hmm. I don't want it fluff. I wanted fluff. I would read about that uh, erotic pillow fluffer or whatever the hell it's named. <laughs> I don't want that. Okay. So anyway, the whole point is, yes, there's holes in the world building. I agree with everything Alex said, you know, and if you want to be a fantasy novelist, I get that she was supposed to be a romance novelist. So she's not coming off as a fantasy novelist, maybe more of a fantasy fangirl, not, you know, not to be harsh, but same way. Um, but you know what? This is what I'm going to say. All right. She's not a debut writer. She writes fantasy. Um, she writes romances, but she is a debut fantasy writer. And you know what? I'm not going to go easy on you because so was Rachel Gillick. And look what she came up with. Mm -hmm. Okay. That girl knows how to tell a tale. She put a perfect duology together. There was no plot holes. Everything was perfectly constructed. Yes, she's a better writer overall, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I have nothing bad to say about Rachie the Gills. Yeah. But um, that's the how to write a fantasy queen for me. So now that I've read that, I'm sorry, but this is just like taking a backseat and it's like, nah. You know, what would Rachel Gillig do? <laughs> Yeah, like wouldn't put all this fluff. Also, you know what I'm saying? Don't give us fluff. You made us wait all this time after that cliffhanger. This isn't what we were waiting for. We were waiting for the stuff. Where is it? Deliver. That's yeah. all. Also, Rachel Gillig isn't the only fantasy novelist out there. I know. I, I agree I'm just with using you. her as an example because we just read her. But. I get it, and I agree with you. But it's not. You know, I, I think that Rebecca Yaros is an insult to other fantasy writers, in my opinion. I do think that she's using this as a money opportunity. I will say this about her. Her marketing is impeccable because the oh, marketing yeah. that she did for this book was fantastic. And I think that yeah. that's going to drive, this is going to put it number one on the bestseller, New York Times bestseller. Yes. It's going to sell millions of copies. But I, I like what you say too, that she's not, she's not a debut author. She's debuted to fantasy fine, but she has published many novels and the actual writing in this book is sloppy. And mm. I don't know if that's because she needed to push it out six months after the other one came out for marketing 
marketing purposes because she needed to keep that momentum going with the popularity of Fourth Wing. But the whole production of this book was sloppy. You have people with messed up prints. They had delayed uh, copies being sent out. Like everything about it was a mess. It was chaotic. And I just have issues. But I think that she was smart in how she marketed it. And that's going to attribute to a lot of success. However, I think if you actually read this book without taking into consideration all the hype around it, it's not a very good book. Right. I mean, is it a fun read? Yes. Should you read it? Yes. Uh, You know, there's a lot of uh, times that, um, you know, you watch a movie and you're not like, this isn't the best plot ever speed. I'm looking at you, but I love that movie. Um, And I'm going to say that she is really good at writing side characters. I really enjoyed her development of the side characters. I do agree with Alex too, though, but there was some backpedaling, I feel like, on the growth of Zayden and uh, Violet individually. I feel like that they were more mature at the end of the last book and then suddenly, oh, we're immature again. I don't know. Um, I I feel like that was maybe something that she could have developed better uh as far as the side characters i have nothing bad to say i think that she did a really great job and i think that's where she shines here in the first part um her writing of side characters her development of the side characters and i think that that was her saving grace first part i do agree with you on that they they were the best part of this book and I had issues with the tone of Fourth Wing where I thought it was more YA than New Adult. Same thing with this book. It's really off-putting too to me because there's some explicit sex scene in this novel, in the first part of this novel. And it just reads weird because the whole thing reads like a YA and then you have this explicit sex scene. And it's just, to me, it was difficult to wrap my head around it. I did. Yeah, I feel like she sat down one day and was like, not only am I going to cash in on the smut community because people love that shit, they eat it up, but I'm also going to cash in on the fantasy stuff. So not only am I going to write a uh, a romance like I usually do, but I'm going to incorporate dragons. I'm going to incorporate a school and I'm going to incorporate sex scenes that don't make sense. All right. and I agree I'm gonna, with you. I'm just going to say, like, the sex scenes, I know some of you guys like that, and that's fine. I respect that. I didn't mind it in Fourth Wing because it made sense. There was so much tension, and then finally it was like, yes, they're going to have sex. Like, good. <laughs> finally. Yeah. You know what I mean? In this one, it was just like, all right, well, you know, we fought the whole time, so let's just have sex and then be very explicit and detailed about it for three pages. I skipped those three pages. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100% about her cashing in on the smut. I have a firm belief that she wrote this series as a YA series and then said, oh people want smut i'm gonna go in put in these smutty scenes change it to new adult but i'm not gonna change anything else in the novel besides maybe their ages she i think she aged them up put in the sex scenes and didn't change anything else and that's why i have issues with her i just yeah a lot of fantasy writers have been doing that lately because i know i didn't read the akamar uh, akamar akamar I didn't read the Akatar series, but I know you had mentioned that it was good. And then all of a sudden smut was thrown in there in the end there. So I think that's what's happening, that a lot of these authors are like, let's throw in the smut because we're losing out on the smut community. And the smut community keeps growing by the pepper over here. So let's cash in on that. And I think that's exactly what she was trying to do. Like, let's do it this way, even though she might have had, like you said, a YA thing in mind. And she was originally writing it that way. I think that these feel like they don't belong. Like you could take them out and they do nothing at all for the story for me. And that's the difference between smut and just having a spicy scene is that it's um, gratuitous. It doesn't affect the actual characters. It doesn't affect the novel. Like you said, in the first book, it made sense. In this one, it's just thrown in there just to be there. Right. Exactly. Even I don't like reading smut, but reading in the first uh, the first book, I was like there for that. I was like, yes, I wanted this. I (laughs) I wanted them to do this. I wouldn't even consider that smut because that was a part of the storyline. It made sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. I meant 
spice yeah, yeah. so like that's sorry no no it's okay it's just that's the difference between this book and that book and there's like 200 pages in this first part of the book that didn't need to be in the book yeah you had said that to me yeah. when i was asking her during my amazon hates me mode um when I was waiting for my book to come, she was like, there's like a hundred pages in here that don't need to be in here. And I was like, what does she mean? And then when I was reading it, I was like, this is what she means. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Like this book was significantly longer than fourth wing. Right. Um, and as Look, far as yeah. the, the end of the part one goes, there was a lot of stuff that I feel like is also going to repeat where it's going to be filler in the mm -hmm. next book. Like she wanted it to be longer mm -hmm. and it didn't need to be. Actually, fun fact, I did read that she intended for part one to just be this book that was going to be all of book two and her uh i don't know if it was her editor or somebody told her no put this all in so that's why she has the part two that's why certain things feel faster yeah now it makes sense mm -hmm. oh well, whatever all right well hey you know we're looking forward to reading part two either way don't let us defer you from or deter you whatever the word is from uh from reading this book it was an exciting part um part one and we're glad to be done with it so now we're going on to part <laughs> two and uh we will be ne back next tuesday and let you know how we felt about the entire book as as a whole and the second part and uh, i am looking forward to certain things i am looking forward to seeing where things go and she left us some breadcrumbs at the end of this so mm -hmm. yeah yep until then happy reading everyone yeah man we had a good conversation. <laughs> Just a reminder to stay after the episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Join us again this Thursday, November 23rd for another potty episode. And then get ready, everyone, because next Tuesday, November 28th, we'll be reading and reviewing the remaining chapters of Iron Flame. Join us then as we conclude our discussion on the newly released fantasy novel. And don't forget to mark your calendar for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air on Wednesday, November 29th. We'll be reading and discussing There There by Tommy Orange. And be on the lookout for our next bonus-ode, date and book, to be announced. If you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in future discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission, so thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whichever streaming service you use. We would really appreciate it also if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about our podcast. And of course, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Yeah. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we'll be doing some live events soon, and we will post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it. Because we're done with this one. 
too much stupid. Without further ado, today's word of the day is... Hold on. Alexa, shut up. <laughs> Sorry, I had rain sounds on. I don't know. All right, listen up, y'all. I'm y'all substitute teacher, Mr. Garvey. I taught school for 20 years in the inner city. So don't even think about messing with me. Y'all feel me? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a roll here. Jay Quellen. Where's Jay Quellen at? No Jay Quellen here? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, do you mean Jacqueline? Okay, so that's how it's gonna be. Y'all wanna play. Okay, then. I've got my eye on you, Jay Quellen. Balake. Where is Balake at? No Balake here today. Yes, sir. My name is Blake. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Blake. What? Do you want to go to war, Balaki? No. Because we could go to war. No. I'm for real. I'm for real. So you better check yourself. D-nice. Is there a D-nice? If one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is gonna feel my wrath. Now, D-nice. Do you mean Denise? Son of a bitch! You say your name right, right now. Denise? Say it right. Denise. Correctly. Denise. Right. Denise. Right. D-nice. That's better. <sighs> Thank you. Now, A.A. Ron, where are you? Where is A.A. Ron right now? No A.A. Ron, huh? Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute, A.A. Ron. Here. Oh, man. Why didn't you answer me the first time I said it, huh? Huh? I'm just, you know, I'm just asking, you know, I said it like four times, so why didn't you say it the first time I said A.A. Ron? Because it's pronounced Aaron. Son of a bitch! You done messed up, A.A. Ron! Now take your ass on down to Oshag Hennessy's office right now and tell him exactly what you did. Who? Oshag Hennessy! Principal O'Shaughnessy? Get out of my goddamn classroom before I break my foot off in your ass! Thanks for listening to my mommy and Aaron Alec. Bye!